You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. Everybody, praise God. It's a joy to be here with my wonderful brothers and sisters in the Lord who mean the world to me. I want to speak on the Beatitudes, of course, and um, I'm speaking on the last of the actual, or carrying on from what Anna did last week, and the actual Beatitudes, um, the actual verses we know and love as the Beatitudes at the beginning of Matthew 5. So if anyone has a Bible, you can certainly turn to Matthew 5 because I'll be referring to a few scriptures in that chapter. <clears throat> we see in chapters 4 to 6 of Matthew, and we don't have to turn to those, um, where Jesus preached repentance and he called some disciples, he taught in synagogues, he went throughout Galilee teaching. His fame spread, he healed and delivered all who came to him, which is an incredible thing. Large crowds followed him from many areas. And then he comes to a mountaintop to sit with his disciples. So we see in this that even from the very beginning, Jesus Christ was preaching and working out of a whole new wineskin to what we've seen in the Old Testament, especially the previous four or five hundred years where there, were, there was very little happening as far as the kingdom of God being manifest in the earth. Along comes Jesus and wham, <laughs> we've got it all. <laughs> so Jesus worked out of a new wineskin, which was wonderful for us because we have benefited. And he speaks about the benefits in the Beatitudes. In this talk I've titled Our Hope of Reward. Because God doesn't do anything where there isn't a, a blessing and a cursing. We want the blessings. So we're going to go after them. We're going to listen to his teachings, take them in, ask him for these characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven that he's talking about. He taught the gospel of the kingdom, calling for repentance, as did the prophets who went before him and his forefathers. So we see in the Old Testament the call for repentance continually. He did the Father's works among the people, working healing and deliverances to manifest the heart of the Lord God of Israel. He showed who God was. 
He worked infallible proofs as the witness of his father who was again crying to the people to walk in his ways and have his heart. Jesus was a new wineskin rabbi with disciples who followed him, which was the, thing, the, the usual thing that anyone who wanted to disciple would find a rabbi and he found his disciples. By healing all who came to him, he proved the deepest mercy and compassion for the poor, the sick, the defeated, and displayed the power of God over the work of the devil in anyone's life who wanted to come to him, who sought him out. <clears throat> As Pastor Glenn said a couple of weeks ago, Jesus preached the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. He described the character and nature of, the, of himself as king. He described the character of people gaining citizenship and living within that kingdom. These people find no place in the kingdoms of this world. They wander as pilgrims, only able to live within one kingdom that is not fully manifest on earth yet. The Beatitudes hold lots of contradictions in our hearts. Each describes the heart of God, the character of Jesus Christ that we attain by his power working in us. Our heart and soul is to see Father and Son glorified without wanting glory for ourselves. But the Father has promised blessings or rewards for faithful servants. In Matthew 5.5, 5, if you've got it open, you can check it out. It, um, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Citizens of the kingdom of God are meek or gentle people of a quiet spirit, having no desire for notoriety or preeminence, but having the hearts of servants, honouring God and neighbours above themselves. In Matthew 22:37-39, in all this the motives of the heart are pure with the true love of God being outworked for the glory of God. Let's go to another scripture, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29, describing the Beatitudes in our hearts as we read them and the struggle that we will have applying them or taking on the power of God to change ourselves to live within those characteristics. 1 Corinthians 1 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast in God. Here we see the foolish things, the weak things, of being poor in spirit, 
of being pure, of being righteous in the in the eyes of God, but not in the eyes of the world. So these are the base things. But no man can boast in God because we try to attain things our way, but not his way. And we must ask him to have these characteristics put in our hearts from his heart. What does it mean when Jesus said, that they will inherit the earth. <clears throat> do we really want to inherit the earth? I suppose we do want to stay here as long as we can, don't we? But when you see scripture that Jesus used a little bit later on, looks back at the prophets and the forefathers of old, and what they were looking at in inheriting the earth. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16 speaks of the old covenant forefathers of faith, knowing that they were pilgrims and strangers on the earth. Verse 14 says, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, a new fatherland. Verse 16 says, But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I believe the forefathers knew. They saw something. They saw the inheritance that God had for them in this, this city that was to come, in the Messiah coming the kingdom, they saw a promise, a reward that they wanted willingly to sacrifice themselves and work for. So they saw something powerful in this city of God, an inheritance. It's described in Revelations 21, verse 1 to 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And in Revelations 11.15, we see the seventh angel sounding, crying out, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. He is the king reigning in his kingdom. We know that he reigns in the kingdom of God now. He's at the right hand of the Father. But there is also a coming kingdom that the prophets saw. We even saw uh, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion where the forefathers had been carried close enough when they died to, or their bones were carried to actually, maybe it was them that were resurrected when Jesus died on the cross and they walked around Jerusalem at the time. They saw a city, they saw an inheritance, a reward that they could have. It's so amazing to think of these things as being real and not just a movie that we've watched 
The old covenant forefathers and prophets fought through doubts, fears and persecution but obeyed the will of God because they were willing to submit and receive blessings and promises in their lifetime but also because they knew there was an incredible reward awaiting for them in the kingdom of God. They had faith that obedience to Almighty God would result in citizenship in a kingdom beyond understanding. So we have fabulous example there for the perseverance, the faith of these forefathers in our lives that we need to take hold of and see that kingdom and want Jesus in our lives badly enough, <laughs> badly enough, goodly enough to do something positive about this and ask him for help. We'll turn to Matthew 5, 10 to 12 and we see where Jesus is again exhorting us to follow in the attitude of the prophets of old. Jesus says words that maybe we don't really want to hear. Um, one of these anomalies again that don't make sense to the human mind. Or heart. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We don't want to hear about persecution, really. I don't know anyone who would run headlong into this, thinking, yay, I've arrived. Um, this is, these are hard sayings, the hard sayings of Jesus. They try us. In verse 11, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we've got a great example there. Um, yeah, these are hard sayings and I think we do need to dwell on these and prepare ourselves, ready ourselves for whatever is to come in the future so that we stand strong in the faith in Jesus Christ no matter what. Jesus exhorts us to desire to be filled with his righteousness rather than self-preservation or selfishness. We are to deny our flesh in this world and seek diligently for his purity and his righteousness. In Matthew 5, 6 it says, or Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These are incredible promises for us. These are all about humbling ourselves before an almighty God and allowing his attributes to fill us. We can even use forefather Moses as, as an example. Jesus, scripture says in Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, and Hebrews 11 goes so well with the Beatitudes, really. There's so much example in there for us of these attributes. It says, 
in Hebrews 11 that Moses chose, chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. His reward was Christ. And Moses saw Christ. He saw, we don't know exactly what he saw. I haven't seen a movie of what he saw. He saw something that caused him to endure ill treatment and the passing pleasures of sin. He was brought up in Egypt with great wealth and position. And here he is, discarding that life for one, a reward that is far greater in Christ. We are rewarded for hungering and thirsting after God in the same way, denying our own desires and living in the character and nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus explains this with a parable in Matthew 5.13, in your Matthew 5, which you might have open. He explains that we are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So salt is a good thing. We know that. We all use it. But in Bible days, salt preserved and purified more than anything else. It was a pay because people needed it. They needed to preserve their foods to eat later. This points us to preserving the kingdom of God on earth, preserving God's character and his name, just as the prophets of old did. We don't give up. We don't change things and water things down. We keep the strength and the power of the gospel. So we preserve the kingdom of God on earth. It's up to us to preserve this kingdom, preserving God's character and name just as the prophets did. The preserving, the preserving that we do is fulfilled in hearing, obeying and doing the word of God in our lives and exhorting others to do the same. We eat this preserved word of God today because it has been preserved throughout the ages for us to still eat and drink its fullness now. For thousands of years, this word of God has been preserved and added to as we see the New Testament come in and the disciples of Jesus Christ, the words of Jesus himself, exhorting us, guiding us, showing us the way into the kingdom and to stay within it. We are to assemble as an army of God. I saw like a picture of all these scrolls of the the word of God and his constitution, his writings for us. But here we are as an army with our weapons that he has given us, preserving and guarding those scrolls with our very lives, with the power that he has given us with his weapons. In Bible days, there was a fair bit of use of salt. Um, There was a knowledge, though, 
that salt from the Dead Sea could not really be used as a preservative, even though it was vast in amount. It contained other minerals that made it really unpalatable or tasteless. It is not useful as it is salt that has been added to. In the same way we cannot, it has other minerals in it, other substances. So they can't use it to preserve the meat of the uh, 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 food or we can't use it to, you know, altered salt to preserve the meat of the word. We are to preserve God's word in truth and integrity without changing it or making it more appealing to the world today. But cont contaminated salt does have its use, though. It's great for killing plants. And so it's fantastic to spread on roads and pathways to be trampled underfoot by travellers. So it does have its use, but it's nothing to do with preserving food or the word of God. Throughout history, there's been a contingent of faithful men and women who upheld the integrity of God's word and character and would even be persecuted or die for devotion to Almighty God. Jesus is commanding his disciples and followers to be active, devoted to preserving his word and keeping doctrines and teachings pure and unadulterated. What reward is there? in doing all this? What reward is there in us for being righteous, pure, poor or merciful? And I'll tell you, if, if we don't receive these things from God and they're out of our own hearts, they're not it. Um, we can try to be righteous, pure, poor and merciful, peaceful, but they need to be God's heart changing us. To his heart. The rewards are great. We will be called the sons of God, peacemakers. We will see God. I mean, pure in heart will see God. That is awesome. I want to see God. We need to want to see God and to enjoy his presence. It's something to look forward to now and in the future. In Romans 8, 18, it talks about the rewards and the sufferings. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We get a touch of this glory now. We... Enjoy knowing Jesus and being in his presence. But there's a lot more to come that we need to persevere towards. 1 Corinthians 15 says, My beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. There is a reward. The work that we do in seeking God and seeking his character, the character of Jesus Christ, is not in vain. Nothing is in vain in Christ. Nothing. Everything works toward 
our gain, really. We have nothing to lose. Jesus, when he was on the earth, knew that persecution and death awaited him. He is the great prophet. He spoke truth and holiness boldly, declaring the blessings for those willing to be humble and repentant, thirsting after righteousness. He preached with great joy. He knew his faithful father and knew his reward. As it says in Hebrews 12 too, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ knew where he was heading. He knew the persecution and the terrible death that he was to suffer. But he knew that he was the Father's beloved and he would experience the, uh, enjoy the eternal reward of what he opened up for all of mankind to bring us into the presence of God, to bring us to the throne of God, to have that veil between us and the Father torn apart so that we could go towards the throne of God boldly. So in winding up here, um, the Beatitudes declared Jesus Christ himself. He is the Beatitudes. Through his humility, he saw and knew the Father. He was filled with righteousness. He sought the Father. He came as peacemaker, bringing peace between the Father and mankind. He is peace and purity. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God, having inherited the kingdom of God and now inherits the earth in meekness and gentleness as its king. Now he is king of kings and lord of lords over his kingdom for eternity. So that's what I have today. And um, I'll just say that all this, we don't enter into anything with the Lord um, and gain from him what we need unless we approach him with humility which is what Anna and Glenn were speaking about in the last two weeks the, the poor in spirit that it all begins with humility that once we approach him and you've got to be humble to ask him for help and to ask him for the things that we need and it's the greatest strength we have is to humble ourselves before him and ask for what we need. I'll just pray a second now. Father, really, just pray for humility in all our hearts, Lord, that we can be poor in spirit and seek your purity, seek your peace, seek your righteousness, your gentleness. Oh, Father, there's so much for us that you have made for us, that you have created all this for us to enjoy with you. Oh, Father, we rely on you, Lord, and your goodness and mercy to fulfill these things within our lives. I thank you that Jesus, as the great prophet, is our, 
beautiful example of the rewards that come because our reward is Jesus himself in our lives and filling us. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, everybody. Bless you.